Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Ruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action. Welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We continue to have our full panel with us each week uh, from our homes, uh, which means Claire Zalke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, great to have you. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. And as always, Robert Craig, our Executive Director, is also with us. Robert, good to have you. Good day, everyone. So, you know, we uh, continue to be under Evers stay-at-home orders, um, and we're going to talk more about that. Uh, but before we dive into the Supreme Court and it taking up the case, which has been a huge story here in Wisconsin this week, we do just want to give you a little update uh, in, in terms of the context with which we're operating in. Um, we, we're now, you know, almost two months now of uh, being in this situation, and uh, the unemployment numbers do did come out this morning uh, but as we record in a, another 3.2 million filed unemployment, which means we are close to 34 million unemployed uh, in the, the last few weeks. I guess it would be seven weeks to be precise and potentially looking at about a 16% unemployment rate. But beyond just the unemployment, we are continuing to see a deepening and worsening of the impact of this as it relates to where a lot of our neighbors and families are as it relates to serious food insecurity. Uh, Claire, um, please, uh, let's. I'd like you to talk more about that and just sort of this is really becoming much more of a gripping crisis as we go forward and uh, families continue to struggle. Thanks, Matt. Um, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast and have for several weeks now around the rising rates of unemployment across the country and in Wisconsin, um, but we don't always get a really clear um, picture of what that means for folks in their everyday lives. And I came across a study um, that that just came out yesterday, um, or um, uh, rather a paper that just came out yesterday from the Brookings Institute um, that was reported on by the New York Times, um, and that aggregates a few different questionnaires and surveys from um, different institutions, including the U.S. Department of Agriculture's food security questionnaire uh, that happened in late April, so just a couple weeks ago, that asked families about um, how much they are, are able to eat, and specifically families with children, if the food that they have goes far enough. And um, they found that an alarming number of families are food insecure, and especially um, families um, where the respondent was a mother with children um, ages 12 and under, um, saying, that, saying that they were food insecure. Um, and so overall, amongst that population, um, uh, mothers with children age 12 and under, they found that um, almost 18% of, of those families were food insecure. And that meant one of two things, that that, that respondent said um, that the food that they bought just didn't last long enough and they didn't have money to buy more, or that the children in their household were not eating enough because they couldn't afford enough food. That is an, not only alarming, how can I put this in, in terms that explain how I feel? This is like a, a punch to the gut, a slap across the face of the the immense hardship um, that not only this pandemic, but the but the inept um, leadership by especially our federal government um, ha is having on the day-to-day -day lives of, of folks and especially children um, across this country who who just aren't eating enough. And so part of this is 
is, is happening likely because of, you know, unemployment and folks losing their jobs. Part of it also is because a lot of food insecure families, their children get two meals a day from schools. And when schools are closed, um, like they are right now, they get less food. Now, thank goodness, a lot of school districts like um, here uh, where I live, Milwaukee Public Schools is stepping up to feed uh, meals to children, even though the school district is closed. But that may not be able to be the case across the country. Um, and the third thing I'll say um, is that the federal government has um, passed several financial corporate bailout packages now, and they have included not nearly enough funding for families. And if we're talking about food insecurity, that would mean a massive investment in SNAP um, or food stamps, basically, um, to, to support these children and to support these families. And the fact that that investment has not been nearly as, as much as what's been needed, um, if anything at all, um, shows really the priorities of a lot of folks um, in leadership it is not about supporting um, folks on the ground who are struggling to meet their day-to-day -day needs. It's about this corporate bailout. Well, I believe that major crises, life-threatening crises like this, and quite frankly, hood livelihood crises and crises and, and people having basic needs fulfilled, as Claire's talking about, are kind of windows into what was already wrong with our system. And so if you think about Congress, you think about the state legislature, look, the lion's share of the money went to corporate bailouts, many of it, and it very easy, no strings attached, That'll get you the money. We don't even know how much it is. There's a slush fund that uh, Steve Mnuchin, Trump's secretary treasurer, has. You know, secretary treasury has. And you get to small businesses, and it's this convoluted loan program that's uh, limited in terms of a cap on it, and goes through banks, and ended up again going more to corporate people with over under 500 employees than to the mom and pop stores. It was allegedly intended to. By the way, saying that's unintended is ridiculous. The systems, systems usually create what they're intended to create. This shows the corruption in Congress and particularly in con the conservative movement because it was what was insisted upon the most to be gotten out of the Trump administration and the Senate Republicans. Uh, and then you look at average people, you know, in unemployment, more money for unemployment, but going to rickety state unemployment systems where a third still can't even, who are unemployed, still can't even get their claim processed, okay? And it doesn't cover all the people who were not employed in the first place, which is many, right? Uh, and then you have, and so you have that, uh, and you have, so you have some other enhancements, but they're all way smaller, and they're all less sufficient, and they're all much harder to get and much, much more inequitable than what goes to corporate America. So that tells you anything you want to know about the state of American democracy. And there are real consequences for that. And so, Claire? Yeah, I agree with that. And and I, and I just wanted to circle back to these um, these surveys and this report that I um, that I listed because um, some things that that Robert was talking about um, made me realize that I may have undersold the severity of um, what some of these uh, studies were finding. Right. So I said that. Um, that almost 18% of, of uh, mothers with children under the age of 12 reported that the children in their household were not eating enough because they couldn't afford more food, right? So that is a um, that is a 460% increase from um, what it was in 2018. Um, and 
based on that answer, the statistical projections that have held up for, for years and years when they use this same survey means that almost 40% likely, therefore, of mothers and children under the age of 12 are overall um, food insecure. So, so that was just the number of folks that responded to this particular survey, but they can extrapolate from that how widespread this issue is in the community. So it's actually, it's, it's, it's much, much more than this sort of like one in five, one in six figure that that, that might show. It's actually much more like, um, like four and a half out of, out of 10 folks. Um, so we're talking about a, a huge swath of folks in our community and especially children who are food insecure. And, and I know that to, to segue into what, you know, the next thing that we need to talk about, you know, these are, these are regular folks in, in, in our community, you know, people of all types of backgrounds who are just trying to survive. Um, and these are the folks who are going to be uh, most, most harmed if forward with, um, trying to quote unquote get life back to normal with the insufficient amounts of testing that we have available to us right now. We're in a really precarious situation. Yeah, I wanted to, you guys did an excellent job of sort of setting just the historic situation we face in terms of the pressure that is on people economically and how that translates to food insecurity, everything. Um, and I just want to add, it is very clear, and, uh, and of course, also that our first efforts to try to meet this uh, federally have certainly been advantaged towards the well-connected and wealthy and, and corporate types um, and, and left mom and pops and, 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 and Main Street sort of behind. It is very clear that it is not likely uh, that we're going to see uh, more towards regular folks. We're starting to now hear about austerity out of the Republicans, and and McConnell's already talked about not wanting to help out uh, locals and municipalities who are going to be starting to hemorrhage, and we're starting to hear about furloughs locally and uh, devastating state budgets. So all of that combines to create so much pressure that we get to the point where we are with the stay-at-home order. And uh, we're going to talk more about that on the backside of this uh, break, because all of this really sets up the stew for sort of which with which the Supreme Court case was taken up this week. But we got to take a break. Uh, you are listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, your citizen action, and we'll be right back uh, after these messages. Welcome back. To the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're talking in the first segment about the absolutely devastating, um, historically devastating numbers, both around employment, but also uh, food insecurity with our with uh, a lot of our families and neighbors. Uh, but also, essentially, that like this, it's not necessarily going to get better in terms of uh, what we're going to see from the federal government. And so what I want to do for this segment is transition to what's been going on here specifically in the state under all of this pressure. And I mentioned also that we're now starting to get some early reports on the damage to state and local uh, governments. Um, and it's still unclear uh, whether there'll be a whole lot of uh, relief coming from the federal government. So that is the stew we're in. Uh, that the Supreme Court, uh, the very political and we're partisan Supreme Court, uh, took up Eber's stay-at-home order this week. And um, I want to throw it open uh, for comments. Obviously, 
the big takeaway was that it was very clear uh, two of the justices were highly, many of the just, conservative justices were very um, uh, upset and don't appear at all to be open uh, to the potential that Evers may have this authority and also said other extraordinarily uh, uh, quite incendiary comments, including the chief justice uh, saying that uh, mostly people impacted by this in Brown County were, were meat packers and not regular Brown County folks. So that is the stew. Claire, I want to, we'll go to you to get your initial thoughts um, about, you know, what we just talked about and how this relates to this huge decision, which as we record Thursday has not come down, but could come down at any moment. Claire. First of all, we just got to name how incredibly, uh, offensive, race, offensive, racist, and classist, the term regular people is, um, because it, it, it creates this artificial divide between people who are sort of some arbitrary definition of sameness or normalness, and then people who are other or irregular. Um, and, and that's, that's wrong and it's not real. Um, and, and furthermore, if by not regular people, what this justice means is people who are not white, then it's, it's furthering this idea that whiteness is the norm and being not white is somehow um, a deviation from the norm. Um, and that is sort of the, the root of a lot of um, horrendous activity um, or, or you know, actions and, and historical practices um, that, that continue to this day, right? Um, it's, it's really, it's really awful. Um, and it, it's just another example of a refrain that we've, or another iteration of a refrain that we've been hearing over and over and over again during this pandemic, that, that some folks are sacrificable um, if it means that other folks, namely, uh, you know, wealthier, whiter, um, younger or middle-aged folks, um, means that they won't be inconvenienced. Uh, and, and again, that is awful, right? Um, so, so just as there was that um, lieutenant governor from Texas who says, who basically insinuated that older folks um, should be willing to sacrifice themselves so that the economy could continue for younger folks. Um, this is this is a, a justice saying that um, you know people who work in meatpacking plants and their families should be willing to sacrifice themselves so that other folks will be you know inconvenienced by something like a safer at home order um, or you know not being able to buy as much pork or something right. Um, it's it's really. Uh, it's really awful, and it it stings particularly bad when it comes out of the mouth of somebody who is supposed to uphold the rule of law that in the United States we're taught is is sort of this ideal um, that we should all be striving towards. It, it was really sickening to hear to hear those comments about what's happening in Brown County. I think we should, after Claire's appropriate remarks, take a further step back. Uh, we don't need to spend much time convincing the core audience of Battleground Wisconsin uh, that this is outrageous, and they don't care. In other words, pointing out the racism and classicism of it doesn't 
make any effect on Robin Voss, Scott Fitzgerald, the conserv- modern conservative movement, Donald Trump, etc. So we need to be aware of it, as Claire just did. But just think about how degraded this is. Just think that they don't even need to pre- have the pretense anymore pretending they're court justices, that they're having some exalted constitutional argument that everyone across the state is supposed to, is supposed to take seriously. They sound like Fox News anchors. And in fact, it's so bad, the very few conservatives that are willing to speak out, one right-wing talk show host in Milwaukee, Steve Scafidi, who's very conservative, but willing to say things, put on Twitter, do they not know that this is like a record forever when they say these things in a Supreme Court hearing? So they don't even care about legitimizing it. They're just politicians in robes and bad ones. I mean, they're, 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 they're saying things that any self-respecting elected leader shouldn't say, or any uh, self-respecting talk show host or person on Facebook, average citizen. So what this means is is that things are really far gone, and they're going to do what they're going to do. The real question for us is how do we unify to be effective in this moment, and how do we bring aside uh, to our side all the cross-pressured people? Uh, you, You see national polling that shows the incredible economic pain that people are feeling and the pain with the pandemic. And then you say, oh, they're 48 percent, 50, 48 on whether Trump's doing a good job on the pandemic. What that tells you is is that there's still this group of people that ought to be with us that aren't quite with us and are cross-pressured for reasons that are hard to explain to us, in other words, for a progressive. And so we also know, I'll just be really, really clear in naming this, the if you look at the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, you know, plan for reopening Wisconsin, and just so you know, uh, Voss and Fitzgerald and these state Supreme Court folks, they're stooges for the big corporate business interests. They were created by WMC, okay? So that, and then they parrot what WMC says. So that's where it really is. And, you know, if you look at the plan, there's no increased testing. There's no contact tracing. There's no medical surveillance. There's nothing about the public health piece other than general criterion for businesses to open safely, which are which say their requirements, but you read them more closely. They're kind of suggestions, a lot of them. And there's nothing well, on CPE, for example, unless you get to and there's nothing on protecting public health or health workers. So it tells you where we are right now, and it will make the economy worse. It'll make, it'll kill more people both. And this is obvious to any progressive. Go ahead, Matt. So, so Robert, I think you're heading us down the right path. And, and that is how do we start to act and respond? By the time you listen to this, it's possible the Supreme court will have ruled against the governor. Uh, if not, it may happen soon. And I want to talk briefly about that. Uh, if that happens, when that happens, we need to take advantage, uh, take advantage, use the opportunity of this is going back to the legislature and Evers. They've asked for six days to try to come up with a solution. So they're going to get some type of period to hammer something out. And we need to take advantage of this opportunity to talk about what Robert just laid out there, that if we are going to safely and I don't know that there's any way to ever use that word, but reopen this economy, there dang well better be at, we need testing, we need tracing, and we need treatment, and we need to take advantage of this opportunity to move very popular things that would protect the public health, like expanding Badger Care, and starting to make sure that folks have 
access to health care so that if they're working, they can go get the coverage they need. And so I really want to encourage our listeners, if you, when you hear this and have heard that uh, that's what's happened, it is time to start calling our state legislators around that and letting them know this is a great opportunity to insert that back into the conversation. So, Matt, real quick, not doing social distancing or doing it worse increases the amount of testing you need, the amount of public health instruction you need. In other words, because that's a public health measure. So, in other words, it makes the gaps in that, which are obvious, even more serious. And I think ethically, our obligation is to really try to save lives and save livelihoods and keep people secure with everything we can. But if we're losing stages of the battle, not the war, to fight it in a way that we're setting up this election, because the only way to get rid of this, these state Supreme Court justices who are not state Supreme Court justices is to take back the Supreme Court by electing real judges. And before we go to break, I also want to add one other thing that we need to talk more about, and that is if, the, if this happens, is we have got to support, effectively support local leaders who stand up and actually protect the public health if this thing is struck down, uh, because a lot of our municipal leaders will do that and they need to be supported. And that's another piece we'll talk more about, but we're going to have to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to uh, talk to hopefully uh, our, a new public official. Uh, that is uh, Trisha Zunker, our member who is uh, running for Congress in the seventh district and has her election next week. But uh, we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we'll talk with Trisha. Uh, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are very fortunate to have Trisha Zunker with us. Trisha, it is great to have you. Trisha's running again for the seventh congressional seat, and the election is next Tuesday, May 12th. Trisha, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I've been a co-op member for a number of years now, and the work of Citizen Action is so critical, and I'm happy to be running as the co-op member um, for this seat. Oh, my God. You're just making my heart go nuts there. That's beautiful. What an opening. Um, well, not only are you a co-op member, but you are the president of the Wausau School Board. We've had you on before because you've been a leader on trying to retire uh, mascots, but you've taken up this historic fight to try to, to win the seventh congressional seat um, in a very challenging time. Could you talk talk to our listeners about that? But then again, let's jump into also how they can also then get involved in helping you uh, in these in this challenging time. Absolutely. Well, this is the historic race, and it is a challenging race. It was already going to be challenging pre-global pandemic. Um, because of a little thing called gerrymandering that we have here in Wisconsin, unfortunately. And the 7th Congressional District is the most gerrymandered uh, district in the Congressional Districts here in Wisconsin. Um, just to back up, though, I do want to mention, you did mention the historic uh, nature of this race, and it is, because when I prevail next week, I will be the first Native American, specifically Ho-Chunk, to represent Wisconsin in Congress. And also, Wisconsin 7 has never been represented by a woman before. That is another overdue representation. And I'm not asking anybody to vote for me because I'm a woman. I'm asking people to vote for me because I'm a qualified woman who's going to go to Congress and work hard for the people of Wisconsin. But women's issues are human issues, and it is high time our women and our girls see themselves reflected in congressional leadership. And our boys need to see it, too. And at the outset, when uh, Sean Duffy announced his resignation, it 
a lot of people contacted me because it had been on my mind to run um, for this seat. I considered it in 2018 after some unfortunate um, experiences I had with my former congressman. And then ultimately I decided to continue working on my other positions. Um, you know, I felt like I still had work to do school board um, with my tribe as associate justice, but I had the date 2022 in mind. And then he announced his resignation and it was an opportunity. And yeah, there were challenges already. I don't have the name recognition of my likely opponent at the time who ended up becoming my opponent and um, the gerrymandering, of course. And this is a grassroots campaign. You know, I believe that we need campaign finance reform. We need to get the corporate money out of politics and make sure that we have representatives who are accountable to the people and only the people. And I knew that financially I was going to be facing a challenge as well. I did not anticipate a global pandemic the last eight weeks or so that would um, keep me at home campaigning virtually while also trying to keep my son, um, you know, along with his schoolwork. I'm a solo parent and our teachers are doing amazing. They are stepping up with the virtual learning, um, but there is the challenge that falls on parents and guardians at home. And in some cases, older siblings, unfortunately, that to make sure that that work is done and to continue working with our children um, at home through schoolwork each and every day. It has been a challenge, but as soon as the CDC came down with recommendations for social distancing, we canceled all public events in the interest of health and safety of Wisconsinites. We have transitioned to a virtual campaign. My staff and I work each and every day, long hours through Zoom. Um, I have held a number of events through Zoom, whether it was uh, listening sessions around the district, um, I have held roundtables. I held a roundtable early on to find out how people were being impacted by coronavirus. I did a Facebook Live uh, town hall. That was fun. Um, so there's been a number of events that we've transitioned and so many phone calls. Early on was just reaching out to see how people were doing through this. People were just trying to adjust to this time period and feeling very frustrated, especially around the April 7th election and all the frustrations that held. But yeah, we've, I think we've done the best that we could under the circumstances. I'm really proud of how this campaign forged ahead. Um, it's important to me to be effective. I have some amazing uh, women on my staff. They came off of some presidential and um, they are motivated and they have great ideas. And I have a strong team assembled early on from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles that also have come with great ideas. So, you know, I, I certainly can't do this alone. And by the way, I want to thank all of the citizen action of Wisconsin volunteers that have been making phone calls and getting the word out. I have said throughout the district that I can't do this alone because I can't, but I pledge that people work hard for me on this end. I'm gonna work so hard for the people of Wisconsin from Congress. Blair, you got the uh, first question. Yeah, speaking of working hard, something that we have been talking a lot about on this podcast and that we even talked a bit about earlier today um, is that the federal response to this pandemic has been inadequate in a lot of ways. Um, and so we, for example, um, just talked about um, the uh, sort of corporate bailouts, the, the business, both small and large bailouts, um, but that there hasn't been enough done to support families in uh, who are dealing with food insecurity. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what would you do when you got into office if you were able to hit the ground running in a month? Um, you know, what are some things that you would want to do for your district to help support um, folks in, in your hometown and in your district in this pandemic? Well, I want that's a fantastic question. I want to be clear. Whoever wins this race next Tuesday has to hit the ground running on Wednesday. 
Um, so there, there's no time to, to lose. And I haven't been getting a lot of sleep. And some people were joking that I can sleep after the election. I said, no, I can't. I can't. I don't even think I can nap because there's so much work that we need to do. We've been without representation. And yes, the response has been inadequate, starting tap down with the president's response. You know, he did not listen to the experts. He didn't listen to the medical experts and the health experts. And we don't see enough people in decision-making powers that do that. That is something that I would bring to Congress. Let's go to the facts, let's go to the data, let's listen to the experts as a source of decision-making in the best interest of Wisconsinites. And we need to do more, absolutely. We need something that's sustainable, not just a Band-Aid, not just a, a, you know, a one-time stimulus check that's not going to last for people. We need to make sure that our families are protected, that our vulnerable populations are protected. Um, and it's not just vulnerable populations that will suffer from food insecurity. It's everyday working families that typically have not had that experience, but because of this pandemic now are finding that money is tight and they do not have the resources they need. So we need to support our nonprofits. They are being um, used so much more right now, waiving requirements, just knowing that people are showing up because they need food and they're allowing them that. So we need to make sure that they're supported. We need to support our farmers, our small and mid-sized farmers. Um, I've heard about um, them having to dispose of products, which doesn't make sense when you talk about food insecurity. Let's figure out a way that that product can be used. We can compensate the farmers for their product. We can make sure that that product gets into the hands of people that need it. And um, we need to protect our small businesses. That's a big deal right up here. Um, people are advocating for a regional opening of the state, but you know that would mean an influx of people coming into this area in the north where our hospitals would be at capacity. Our medical um, workers would be exposed to such great risk. You know, coronavirus doesn't stop at the county line. So we need to ensure that we take the safest measures possible so that we don't have to go through this again in the fall, which is what they're starting to predict. But there's a lot that we can do, and I absolutely will advocate that people have what they need to get through this trying time. So, Tricia, uh, obviously, I mean, very good case, but you don't have to convince us or our audience, right? Uh, this district has a reputation as being a conservative district, though it has voting percentages that Democrats have won since Trump was elected in different parts of the country, like Carter, like Connor Lamb, I think his name is, in Pennsylvania, for example, and others. Uh, and it was gerrymandered where they pulled Stevens Point out, et cetera. That, and, but there really hasn't been a competitive congressional race in a while since your race, since the David Obie era. It was a different district. Uh, what are you finding about these voters that some in Madison want to write off as unreachable by common sense as you've been campaigning all around the district? Well, before this global pandemic hit, I put thousands upon thousands of miles on my car getting throughout this expansive 26 county district so that I could meet with voters and hear their concerns. And one thing became abundantly clear. We are more alike than we are different here in Wisconsin 7. And I think there are a lot of people that vote the candidate. And my message is going to resonate to make sure that people have access to health care, that people with pre-existing conditions stay protected, something that my opponent is against, which just I don't understand that. <laughs> um, and making sure that we protect our small and mid-sized farmers and protection of our environment. This is not something that falls strictly on Democrats here in northern Wisconsin. Independents and Republicans want to make sure that that our land stay protected, that we have clean air and clean water. We have a lot of hunters and anglers here that don't want to see our beautiful lands destroyed. Um, so I really think that is uh, a message that is resonating. People do vote the candidate here um, more than along party lines. And another thing that I heard 
a common theme aside from the issues is that people are tired of attacks. They're tired of political division. They're tired of gridlock. They just want to see somebody who's going to get to work and work hard for them. And I think it's very clear that I'm the only candidate in this race who's focused on the issues, focused on the people, um, and willing to work across party lines to make sure that we have what we need here in Wisconsin, not just for the people that vote for me, but for everybody, because that's the job of a representative. So I think we're, we're actually sitting pretty good going into Tuesday. So, Trisha, so you're being hammered by the right-wing group, right? Uh, and so I assume people can still get you money and you could still make use of it, I assume. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything, everything that we raise today, tomorrow, through the weekend goes into expanding our media buy. And that means more votes for us because reason will prevail. Um, we have done so well, and I'm so grateful for all of the contributions. This is a grassroots campaign, but we can certainly continue to raise more. My website is www.trishaforwisconsin.com. My first name is spelled T-R-I-C-I-A, forwisconsin.com. And again, everything we raise, that translates into getting the message out to more voters, more votes for us. And again, I do just want to say thank you to all of the individuals volunteering with Citizen Action. I heard from um, my regional director up here, or organizer, I think is the term, Joel Lewis, great friend, and also just does amazing work for us up here in Northern Wisconsin. And he said something about 25,000 plus calls and texts being made. And I just can't thank people enough um, because we have so much that needs to be done in this country and it takes it takes getting the right people in those seats, one election at a time, the next one being May 12th, special election here in Wisconsin, 7th Congressional District. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for showing the kind of leadership to run for this office and the work you've done even prior. Thanks so much, Tricia. And again, folks, get those absentee ballots in. Thanks, Tricia. Thank you. And folks, remember, volunteer, you can make phone calls. There's plenty of ways to get involved, but we got to take a break. Uh, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We really appreciate Trisha Zunker joining us uh, in the previous segment to talk about her election. And again, we we want to encourage folks to get involved this final few days. And you can get involved no matter where you are around the state, right? A lot of the stuff is all virtual phone banks. We're running that. Uh, you can reach out to us to get involved in that. We'll have links around that. Um, but Trisha and the campaign, they have activities. Just want to encourage people to get involved or, as Robert said, donate money. And transitioning, we want to spend this last segment talking about just that people power and the importance of our organizing co-ops and the leaders within those co-ops who do amazing work every day, but also have been doing amazing work in this election. And we are welcoming uh, to the show Don Dunphy. Don is the chairman and uh, of our steering committee in North Central Wisconsin, one of our co regional co-ops. Don, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Mayor. Don, the reason we're having you on is um, not only are you a longtime leader, uh, active in the co-op on a day-to-day -day basis, but you have been uh, working with us around this election and have been doing canvassing both on the doors and on the phones uh, since February. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about that and why, why you do that work and why it's so important? 
Well, I do the work because I know it's effective. Um, I know that um, people uh, are hesitant to knock on doors and make phone calls. Uh, a lot of people think it doesn't work, but I'm telling you, uh, that kind of retail politics is the most powerful way to reach out to voters. Uh, when you have a voter shake your hand or say thank you on the phone, thank you for calling me, giving me this information, uh, that's a great feeling. And you know that uh, you've nailed the vote down uh, for whoever you're advocating for. Tell us a little bit more about uh, what you've been doing for, for Trisha. We've, uh, she, she mentioned sure. that there's been a lot of calls. I know there's been about 25,000 calls made uh, in support of Trisha. Talk more about that and, and, and the uniqueness of what we're doing. Well, here's what we're doing. We have a field team uh, in uh, the 7th Congressional District. Uh, actually, uh, our responsibilities are a bit broader than that, but we have been, since April 17th, we have been making calls uh, to advocate for uh, Trisha Sumter. And as you said, we've made thousands of calls. Uh, there are eight people on the team as of last count, but we're accepting volunteers. And um, depending upon whether you're full-time or part-time, you get on the phone for eight hours a day. If you're full-time, four hours a day. If you're part-time, uh, make your calls. Uh, you can average, uh, you can get in touch with, on average, 150 to 200 people a day in four hours, which is what I've been doing. And uh, even though you only talk to a fraction of those, uh, you're still winning over support for the candidate you're ad advocating for, in this case, Trisha Zunker. I heard Trisha Zunker say that she has a good feeling about the election. I do too. I I'm not gonna make any predictions, but what I've been hearing on the phones is a lot of support for Trisha. And we're reaching out to a lot of people that didn't know there was going to be an election and didn't know anything about the candidates. And uh, we're telling them about the election, how they can vote absentee. Of course, uh, that's coming to a close. I believe today is the last day to request a ballot. And um, we've been uh, telling them about Trisha's program and you know how she's for, she's the healthcare candidate in the race. She's the climate candidate in the race. And I think uh, we've been appealing to a lot of people and winning over uh, a lot of support. And we, we don't have to get all the votes. We just got to get 50% plus one. Don, this is Robert. Um, so I know you have a, a nice crew of volunteers there, and that's the way we build power. They have all this big billionaire money from the right, and we have people. We can win if we have enough people. And it sounds like the folks who are doing this, yourself and others, are, are having a positive experience where it's almost energizing, where you feel, gee, it's not like what I see on Fox News, that these are just regular folks you can talk to, and they're, they're open to us. Uh, what would you say to people who, they just haven't done this before, they're with us, and they just think it's going to be really onerous to make phone calls? Uh, because I think once you do it, you find out a lot of people just keep coming back to it. It actually creates a lot more emotional balance and energy because you get outside the media frame and realize it's just people. We just need to interact with people one-on-one -on -one to change the state. 
Well, it's, it's like your first cup of coffee. The first one doesn't taste very good, but pretty soon uh, it, you get used to the flavor and begin to enjoy it. And, uh, you know, you just have to get used to the, You have to get used to rejection. You kind of have to grow thick skin. But uh, the rewards are, are tremendous. When somebody says, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to support your candidate. I like what I hear. Uh, and thank you for calling. Um, there, there's an enormous jolt of energy from something like that. The same with knocking on doors, but we're not going to be doing that for a while. Um, I, I'm assuming that it's probably going to be a pretty much a distance uh, telephone and, and digital campaign for the rest of the year. But uh, uh, I would encourage anybody that, that's curious about it and would like to give it a try to reach out and volunteer. And specifically, if, if they want to get on the, the uh, virtual phone bag for Tricia, they can reach out to our regional organizer here, Joel Lewis at joel.lewis at citizenactionwi.org. And Joel will set you up with all the information you need to help us out. And the way oh, that yeah. works is you're given a lot of training and support, right? But Absolutely. then when you have a good conversation, you're not just told, call them, no support. But then, and you see other people, you're able to try it. But then you're really trying to get a conversation. So it's like a good door conversation where it becomes a real human contact. So it's not just like a telemarketer reading a script. You have, you know, your position, but you want, you want to generate a, a real human conversation with the person. And that's what cuts through all the ads and all of the false information. Right. Well, my experience has been that once you get somebody talking, they're willing to give you four or five minutes on the phone, and they're willing to listen to you talk about the issues. Sometimes they'll ask questions. Sometimes they'll disagree with you, but you can have a discussion with them. Uh, and I think that that's very important. Even people that disagree with us, if we can uh, make our points, and maybe the next election cycle they'll, be, they'll reconsider uh, where they are on the um, political spectrum. So I think I think it's uh, it's a great way to reach out to voters. And there's there's all kinds of painless ways that you can do it too, because uh, you can find organizations that are texting in support of uh, Tricia, uh, writing uh, postcards in support of Tricia. Um, you know, if you're not a, a phone caller, you can you can try some of that too. So. Don, obviously, a, a race for Congress, a race for uh, governor, for president gets a lot of attention, gets people involved. I'd like to get your comments as someone who's a leader in this co-op about one of what I think is one of the most important powers of these co-ops in our regions is the ability to start building power regionally in our local governments, with our school boards, with our county boards. Could you talk more about that and specifically uh, this spring, huge victory, uh, Katie Rosenberg, member of Citizen Action. I know someone that you've worked with um, and what that means to really start to change the kind of uh, world we live in. Most of the um, interaction that ordinary people have with their government is at the local level. And we um, backed Katie Rosenberg, who was taking on the incumbent mayor in Wausau. She won her um, election uh, in, in something of a set, uh, upset. Uh, now we have a progressive uh, leading the city of Wausau. 
Uh, we've done similar things uh, in county board elections, uh, school board elections, and, and they're really important for this reason. You may not ever meet the governor of your state, but you're going to meet the president of your school board. You're going to meet um, the um, county board supervisor that uh, runs in your district, and you're going to have interaction with them about policies. And, uh, you know, our county board has been here in, in Lincoln County, uh, our county board has been very active uh, statewide. One of our members and our county board supervisor, Hans Breitenmoser, has become the uh, go-to guy statewide for um, uh, the Fair Maps movement. For instance, and uh, we had a very conservative county board two years ago, and we worked real hard, and we got um, some progressives on the county board, and now it's a majority uh, progressive board. So you can have quite an impact at the local level because that's where people live and that's where people interact with their government. Well, Don, we really appreciate um, you, first of all, being a leader in the co-op and thinking about how do we change our communities uh, from the ground up uh, and taking the time to work on the Trisha Zunker effort uh, that we've been doing. Um, uh, thanks so much, Don, and thanks for taking the time to join us today. We re really appreciate it. You're welcome, Matt. And again, folks, uh, want to encourage you to consider joining our co-ops. We have co-ops in a number of regions, the Driftless area, uh, I.D. like La Crosse, Viroqua, Eau Claire, uh, Wausau, Stevens Point, Appleton, Green Bay, Milwaukee, really want to encourage you to get involved in our co-op no matter where you live but uh and uh, we'll have links for that on our website but with that we have got to wrap up this battleground wisconsin podcast we want to thank our guest don dumpy and trisha zunker for joining us folks please 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 get your absentee ballots in if you live in the 7 cd and if you are going to go vote please vote safely on may 12th but folks get involved and with that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.